Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Welcome Phoenix Rising family. I'm so glad you joined us. We have a fantastic episode for you. To get us started, Kelly McCarthy is with us to talk about our last game, which was an away game against Charlotte Independence on July 10th. Up to the time the opening whistle blew in the American Legion Memorial Stadium, we were all feeling pretty hopeful of our chances of coming away with a win. Now, our mothers told us not to count our chickens before they're hatched. Yet there we were, counting them. One, two, three. The goals we were expecting, the goals that didn't materialise. The reality was that before the second minute of the match, we conceded a goal, and obviously things got real. The game ended 1-0, and it was another game that felt like a loss. But there are a lot of positives that we can take away from that match, and you'll hear Kelly address those in our game roundup. Following that segment, we have an interview with Brandon Keniston, who tells us what it's like to be a goalie and what it's like to play for Phoenix Rising. It's an honour to have Brandon join us and it's so much fun to go behind the scenes with an up-and-coming star. After that, we'll move on to hear about the standings from across the league and we'll finish off with a preview of what's ahead of us this week. Two games, an away game to Oakland Roots and a home game to LA Galaxy 2. Let's get started with a look back at our game against Charlotte Independence. What's up, football-loving maniacs? This is Devin Kerr, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, on Saturday, July the 10th, our boys traveled to North Carolina to take on Charlotte Independence. Now, we know they're a good team, right, Kel? They're a fantastic team, and we also know that they beat one of the few teams that have beat us, the Rowdies. So that's going to be a mental factor moving into this game. Right. With that, we went there thinking that this was going to be a hard game for us. But when they announced their starting 11, we found that they had benched their captain. Now, if if we saw the starting 11 and we saw Solo on the bench, we'd be seriously concerned. That's a huge impact, I would think. What do you think, Kelly? Sure, absolutely. And I think it's something you'd get excited about. On the other hand, it's the goalkeeper. Um, So I don't know what we knew about their backup keeper who played. And as we saw, he played pretty spectacularly. So, you know, maybe it's something that puts a little spring in your step, but you're still really smart to be leery. You're in a foreign land, having traveled, dealing with humidity, as well as playing what you know to be a great team and what you know to be a great conference and a really difficult division. So, you know, you stay you stay cautious. Now, just before we get into the game, I just want to note that they were also without Dane Kelly. So Dane Kelly is the USL all-time top goal scorer, and he was out with an injury. So I'm thinking there are two things that are in our favor. And in addition to that, Charlotte are coming off of a loss against Red Bulls too. This was a Wednesday game for them. So they're tired. They're beat up from their Wednesday game. They don't have their captain. I'm thinking, whoa, this is suddenly going to be a better game for us. But it didn't turn out that way. It ended with a one-all draw. Um, Kelly, do you have overall 
thoughts on what happened? Yeah, I do have some overall thoughts. And I think you touched on part of it. You know, they didn't have their goalkeeper who they're accustomed to, who's fantastic. They didn't have one of their strikers who's known as being fantastic as well. So some of what happened this game had less to do with us and more to do with them. And I think when you have two ends of the field like that with some unknowns, everyone rises up. We've seen that just with, you know, we talked about this in the last couple of weeks as we got David Egbo in as our starting striker. Everyone kind of shape-shifted to deal with this new component, this new factor, this unknown. And I think that's kind of what happened with them. They had something to prove in their new stadium. They're coming off their first loss in their new stadium. And now they've got these two key players out. And so everyone rises up. Uh, to defend that goal and steps up to be a goal scorer. So I think it really, in a way, was to their favor. Something else that happened, this has to be stated for me as an overarching thought, is we conceded a goal within 90 seconds. That's devastating. And I will say to our credit, we did not let it devastate us. I was so impressed. You know, as a fan, I'm sure there were plenty of us that were freaking out, but they weren't freaking out. It was very apparent to me that Phoenix Rising remained calm. And I think there's a flip side to that as well. It changed the way we played the game. Uh, that'll come up later. But those are sort of my opening thoughts. Gotcha. That that first goal, uh, as you said, it was in the first 90 seconds. It was Irvin Parra. He basically capitalized on poor communication between our two center backs. That was huge for us to be down a goal two minutes in. Kelly, your thoughts on what happened there in the back line between Musa and Aduole? Basically, uh, a ball came in and Musa made the decision to trap and pass which he did to Adewole. It was a beautiful trap and pass. It was controlled. It was fine. Adewole just wasn't really prepared for it. You know, I think that early in the game, maybe he was expecting a clearance or whatever. He got caught flat-footed. It happens. <laughs> it just takes one mess up for a good team to capitalize. It just takes one stroke of brilliance, you know, for a bad team to turn the tide. So, uh, and that'll come up again later. You know, that's what we needed was we needed just a stroke of brilliance on our end. But you know, we made an error, they capitalized. And like I said, that could have brought us right down, especially you're playing away and now you're down that quickly. I think there's much to be said. People make errors and sometimes they turn into goals. And it did tell me though, they had some people playing together who had a lot of polish, great communication. I mean, we know Marvo was the person that kind of turned that into a goal. He's brand new. He's been with them for like two weeks. He's not physically fit yet, according to him, uh, but he is sharp. And it showed when you're good, you don't need to be long established on a team to make magic happen. Can we just talk about that mistake for a second? Um, the, the two center backs were very close to each other. So it was a very close pass. And you said that Adewale was caught flat footed. He wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for that pass either. There was a defender. I'm sorry. There was a, an, an attacker right there, pretty much between the two of them waiting to pounce. I feel like Musa should have cleared that ball. Yeah, maybe it wasn't, you know, I think on the record, it's going down as an Adewale error. He he accepted it immediately. You know, he talked to, he kind of symboled to Shams, like, my bad. So, you know, when there's an error, there's usually more than one person involved in it. I don't think it was necessarily the best decision by Musa to pass it as opposed to clearing it and saying, okay, let's take a breath and figure out our, our shape. But the, again, these things happen. So whose fault it is, is neither here nor there, but hopefully they learned from it and they improved their communication and they thought twice. 
So honestly, if you look at the number of clearances we had for the night, I'm not sure we did learn from it. But yeah, I agree with you. It's a flip of the coin as to whose real error it was, but that's how they play. You know, they do play with possession in the back line. So it's not outlandish for Musa to be looking for someone to pass to. Okay. Okay. Good thoughts. Okay. So after that second minute, the game, uh, it flowed, it was back and forth up until we got to the 21st minute when we saw our goal. How did you think we played up to that time? How do you think we responded from being a goal down in that first 20 minute period? Well, and this is where I come up with, uh, you know, one of my favorite sayings in life, not necessarily related to soccer is your strengths or your weaknesses. So I think on one hand, you know, it's two sides to this coin. They responded amazingly emotionally. It is so easy to get down when that happens. And when it happens that quickly, it's the epitome of disheartening. They didn't let it get to them. And I mean this to a man. I think, you know, I often talk about the players on the pitch that have maturity, that have experience and that are able to calm the game down. They, some of them weren't even on the field. You know, I often point to Vaccaro. Um, you know, so I really was impressed that everyone managed to say, we're going to, you know, we're going to stay calm. We're going to turn this around. We're going to play our game. The flip side, though, is they calmed it down a little bit too much for me. You know, if you look at the overall game possession, we had about 61% possession on the game. That's not normal for us. It's it's usually around 50-50. And we also had something like 530 passes. Um, This shows me, you know, this is in line with that increased possession. We were great. Our pass accuracy was pretty high at around 85%, but it tells me we weren't necessarily playing our game. We were holding on to possession. Now, to their credit, Charlotte Independence was amazing on the counterattack. And I think those two things gave us, you know, our shifting game plan, trying to play more cautious. And then when we did lose possession, they would turn around and capitalize. And I think that made us reinforce that we wanted to hold that possession. So sorry for the long-winded answer, but I think we played a little too cautiously. Now I give us credit that we were able to stay calm and keep our heads up, but you know, they prepared for an attacking team. They adjusted, you know, they brought an extra man back to play defense. They were ready for an assault and it never came. Kelly, in the 21st minute, there was a throw in from on the right side of the pitch to Solomon Asante, who got a nice first touch. He crossed the ball to Moore, who was on the other side of the park. Moore had a clever pass. He passed it over to Aiden Quinn, who was moving toward the goal box. Quinn did really well, a big stretch to get a foot on the ball and send it toward the goal. It was blocked by one of the Charlotte defenders. They weren't able to clear it, so the ball fell towards our forward, David Egbo. He hustled, he put the ball in the net. The score is now 1-0. Huge breath of relief, right? (laughs) Absolutely. It was wonderful. And it touches upon a couple of things that we've been seeing that are awesome. You know, during that play, you commented about Santi Moore. Wow, what vision. He held onto the ball. And he was calm and he waited for the support to come that he knew was coming. You know what? One before that, you know, you mentioned that Asante had a great first touch. He also had great vision. He knew where he was. He knew where his players were. And he managed to just nail it. It was like a turn, receive, volley, all in one. And it was a cross. He put it right to Moar, who he trusts. You know, this to me is just, I mentioned it last week, our forward line stronger, like, Together, they're stronger. And this was, you know, an example of that. Every one of them touched it and they just have confidence in each other, faith in each other, and they're all performing at a pretty high level. So Asante showed vision, Moar showed vision. 
And Quinn showed heart and Egbo showed a calm finish, which is really impressive for someone with his lack of experience. He's not letting that hold him back. So it was a fun goal. (laughs) And you're right. We were excited to tie it up at 21 minutes. It felt like anything could happen from that point forward. So we went into halftime one all and the game actually ended one all. There were a few opportunities that we had. There were a few opportunities that Charlotte had. Um, What was your feeling about who owned the game, Kelly? That's a tough one. I mean, again, I talked about possession and we owned the possession, not, not crazy, you know, 61%, but I think we controlled the pace of the game. And normally that's a huge advantage for us because normally that pace is frenetic and it wasn't, we slowed it down. And, um, I don't think that was necessarily the best game plan. They had more serious, They didn't have more chances, but they had more real chances than we did. You know, they missed some critical shots just wide and we were lucky, you know, that, that really benefited us that they weren't able to finish. And I hate saying that, but it's, it's just true. You know, I think if it came down to chances, they won that game. So um, again, Rawls was in great form. He did a wonderful job. We only had 10 shots on goal. And I think, I don't know how many of them were on target, but not that many. Six of those shots were from outside the box. This was not the normal Phoenix rising way. We weren't attacking to the extent that we should have been. And the scoreline kind of represented that. You know, it's easy to say, and you're tempted to say, hey, we left a good team on the road with a point and we should be happy. And I am, but I think we could have won. I think if we'd stuck to our game plan, we would have won this game, you know, and that's, that's great news. It's good to know that we could have, but Rick Shan said after the game, if you want to win championships, these are the games that you have to win because you have to learn to play on the road and you have to beat opponents that are tough. So it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Speaking of Rick Shans, it was the, the first match that he got so passionate last night. We could hear him shouting at his players. He wanted them to up the tempo. He wanted them to play the game that we're used to seeing last night. So it was just, it was interesting, that aspect of the fan experience. You know, you're, you're home, you're watching it on TV and you get kind of uh, a, a different different visual, different. Yeah. And didn't you agree with him? Everything he yelled. I was like, thank you. (laughs) I'm yelling it too. So in the 84th minute, Kevin Lambert was sent off and there was a lot of concern that he wasn't okay, but he tweeted later that he was just fine and that the ambulance that was called, it wasn't for him, but it was for the person that he had clashed heads with. So both of those players were on the ground for a long time. I I don't think Kev came off right then. It was a little after that that Kev came off. But I was kind of surprised that we didn't see subs earlier. Were you surprised at that at all, Kelly? I wasn't necessarily surprised. You know, obviously we were looking, we're looking forward to a game on Wednesday followed by another game on Saturday. So you do expect to see some people, you know, getting some rest and anticipation of a tough schedule ahead. On the other hand, I really feel like we wanted that team to rise up. You know, I mentioned when I talked about our forward line last week, they're better together. Well, we didn't really see that as a team. I mean, individually, if you point at anyone, I think they all put in good shifts, but oddly we weren't better together. And I think, you know, if it were me as a coach, I'd be looking for the gel to happen. You know, Hey, everyone's playing pretty well. When is that going to equal something special? So you know, if I had to venture a guess as to why we didn't sub until we did, that'd be it. 
Kelly, let's move on to the lineup. We had Andrew Rawls in goal, and you said that you were happy with his performance. Then in the back line, we had Schmidt on the left side, Darnell King over on the right side, and our two centers back, center backs, Musa and Adewole. So as a team, as a defensive unit, how did they do? They did pretty well. We discussed the error. Was it Musa? Was it Adewale? It led to a goal. That's always unfortunate. You know, there were too many opportunities that the other team that the independents had on our goal, you know, they just had too many close calls. Thankfully they didn't make them. We talked about this already, but I would just say rather than focusing on the back line here, I would just like to comment the whole team needs to play defense. They know that of course they do, but I would have liked to have seen our midfield pick up some men. I mean, one of the things that was critical to this game was that Charlotte independents were able to counterattack quickly when they when they repossessed the ball, if you will, when there was a turnover, when we had a failed attack, they grabbed it and they went. And that just requires people to step on step up on defense. So, you know, I point less fingers at the back line and more at the rest of the team to pick up the slack. You know, we saw shots coming from all different areas of the field from them and different players. You know, it wasn't just their forward. So I think we needed really as a team to strengthen our defense. Um, King was awesome. Again, day, you know, week after week, when we talk about the back line, he's so solid. And I just want to, you know, tip the hat once again. I thought he played really well. Agreed. Agreed. He did have a, a shot at one point and um, I was not convinced. Um, I saw him running up, getting ready to take that shot. And, you know, he just, he doesn't take a lot of shots. I wish he would take more. Me too. And he was a forward um, back maybe in his college days before he moved into a defensive position. And I would like to see him be more of that, be more of an attacker and take more shots on goal because I think he has opportunities that he doesn't capitalize on. I so totally agree. They're not stopping him from doing it. He's stopping himself. And let's just hope that Tate Schmidt, who we know will get up there and put that goal into the back of the net, will motivate him. You know, I think another goal or two by Schmidt and he's going to, he's going to realize he can get on that scoreboard as often. In the midfield, we had Aiden Quinn, we had Kevin Lambert and we had Arturo Rodriguez. Kelly, how did they do? I think our midfield is doing pretty well when it comes to distribution and when it comes to the attack. But again, as I just mentioned, I would like to see them playing more serious man-on-man defense. Um, That said, I'd love to definitely give a nod to Aiden Quinn. Last night was one of the first times I really saw him as a shining star. You know, the whole team really slowed down. As I mentioned, we're holding on to possession. We were passing a ton. You know, while everyone was calm, I really wanted someone to be a man on fire, not desperate, but just really energized. And he was the closest we saw to that. I thought he did a great job. I thought he was all over the field. So I was, I was impressed and happy to have Aiden Quinn on the team last night. And that's not to say that Lambert didn't put in a good shift. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, his defense is just outstanding. And, you know, we had a lot of players that were well matched with the person that they were defending. And, you know, when Kevin Lambert goes into a tackle, he's going to emerge with the ball. You don't know how it happens. It's all legs. You know, someone ends up upside down, but he just emerges with it. And we saw that time and time again. So he was very consistent. So we've seen Arturo Rodriguez in for Becaro a few times now. And uh, how's he doing in there? I think he's doing, you know, I think he's doing great. I think he's energized, much like having that switch up top with Egbo. Having him in the center has changed things. People are playing a little differently. The dynamic's a bit different. You know, I think they, I think they shut him down a little bit last night. Um, he played well, but, 
you know, nothing outstanding worth commenting on from me. Yeah, he was he was definitely in some dangerous positions at times, but unfortunately yeah. didn't see anything resulting from it. Um, up front, we had Santi Moore, we had uh, Solomon Asante, and of course, David Agbo, who has been in now for the last few games as well, instead of Dadashoff. So let's talk about all three. How did our forwards do last night, Kelly? Well, they did pretty well in terms of the goal that we scored. You know, I mentioned earlier that every one of them touched it. And that's awesome. That's the teamwork that Egbo has helped bring to the front line. You know, they're supporting him as a new player. And they're also looking for ways to be creative with the old game plan of, you know, having Dadashov as that point man. That's changed. And it's it's forcing them to change and get more creative. That said, they didn't have a ton of chances. You know, I think Charlotte adjusted their typically play with three in the back. They played with four last night. Again, they were ready for an assault that didn't come, but they did manage to really force the players out wide. And then they shut down the middle. You know, we needed more attack to come from our midfielders and it just didn't really materialize. You know, again, individually, I think they put in good shifts, but there just wasn't a lot of synergy that was happening. And the attack was minimal. Okay, Kelly, let's talk about our subs. David Egbo came off in the 56th minute and Dadishoff came on. What did you think about that substitution? And I haven't heard anything about, about David Egbo. Is he okay? I don't know. You know, I, I tried to do a little bit of follow-up this morning, but I haven't heard anything. He was subbed off because of an injury. It looked from what we could see like it was a groin or some kind of thigh injury. He didn't look like he was in that much pain, not that that's telltale, but so hopefully it was just a small strain and they wanted to rest him. So Dadashov comes in, like you said, I think it was around the 55th minute and not much to report. Obviously no goals were scored after that. It wasn't what I hoped, which was a starting player who's been benched coming out and saying, let me remind you why I was your starting player and wear number nine on my back. I didn't see that. Okay. In the 79th minute, Rodriguez and Moore came off and we saw Prince Sadie and John Beccaro come on. So did they have an impact? Not in terms of the scoreboard. You know, we saw, we heard Rick Chance in a post-game interview talk about how Santi Moar just kept cutting in. And while he does that well, and it's often a beautiful strategy, it just wasn't working. So he brought in Sadie to add speed, uh, someone who could speed down the sideline and cross in from the corner. Um, we saw him do that. We also saw him you know, rush down the sideline and then bring it in along the goal line. So he added, he added a shift to the play, but it didn't materialize into anything, but I think it was a good substitution and it doesn't hurt to rest more either. But Caro uh, was fresh legs. He had some great distribution, but nothing that materialized. And the last substitution was Joey Farrell coming on in the 84th minute for Lambert. How did Joey Farrell do? He did well, you know, and again, this is, this leads to the depth that we have on our team now. So he came in for Lambert, who, as you mentioned, had sustained a head injury, tried to stick it out, was feeling sluggish, came out. Musa moved up to the midfield. Farrell went back to center back. So it's just awesome that we have those options. And, you know, we've heard the rising bench described as an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> and aren't we lucky, you know, that we have so many options that we can have a tough game on the road and still put out basically our best team. So, you know, he did great. Again, the 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 score didn't change on either side. So that shows Farrell's able to step in and defend. And he always does. 
And Kelly, in closing, we've got a game this coming Wednesday and then another game on Saturday. And it's not just that we've got games coming in quick succession, but we've got that Wednesday game where we travel to Oakland. So it's a long trip for our guys just after they're back from that long trip to Charlotte. So um, any closing thoughts, any words of advice moving forward? Well, I mean, I think what we're doing, we need to keep doing. And I think we will have learned from that on the road lesson. We need to pick up our wins on the road. Absolutely. We need to not be overconfident. You know, Oakland doesn't have a great record, but you know, they are capable of things. We just saw them lose to the Las Vegas lights, but before that they tied Sacramento at Sacramento. Um, so, you know, they're a good team and we're going to be playing in their home stadium a couple of days after we've just played. So that's going to level that playing field a little bit. We need to put our heads down. We all need to play our best game on the road. And I know we're going to. Great job. Kelly, thank you for your analysis this morning. Thanks for having me. Our interview today is with goalkeeper Brandon Keniston. Brandon signed for Phoenix Rising on an academy contract in 2019. At that time, he served alongside our two other goalies, Carl Wozinski and Zach Lubin. Brandon has since taken the opportunity that the academy contract afforded him, which was to allow him to attend college and play at the college level. He is currently a student at the University of San Francisco, where he plays for their soccer team, the San Francisco Dons. Brandon is home for the summer, and he spends his days as a practice player with Phoenix Rising. You heard him on this show two weeks ago in episode 10, where he joined us to review Phoenix Rising's away game to Sacramento Republic, a great result where we won 2-1. Anyway, we had a lot of fun with Brandon that day, and lots of listeners appreciated his insider knowledge, especially when he talked about how he sticks around for after hours with our captain, Solomon Asante, to allow him to practice his free kicks. In this interview, I started by asking Brandon about all those dives that goalkeepers make. Let's listen in. Whether you get the ball or whether you don't, you're hitting the ground. Does it hurt? Um, it does sometimes. Uh, I've, you know, learned through the years playing on a lot of different surfaces to take care of the body. And so I use uh, some Storelli pads on the side of my legs. I've been using those for, I don't know, say five years now or something, but those help a lot, uh, reducing the impact on the hips and um, everything else, you know, it has to come to the ground eventually, but uh, the hip pads definitely work really well. Okay. You guys make it look so easy. Are you stronger on one side than the other? Um, and you don't uh, have I, to tell us which one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think so. Um, I'd say I'm pretty comfortable diving anyway. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, where are you right now? You're, you're in college somewhere. Yes. I'm at the university of San Francisco. Fantastic. What are you studying there? Uh, majoring in entrepreneurship. Great. How's that going? It's going good. You know, finished the first year with all A's. So nice. Well, nice. So you're playing for the San Francisco Dons. Mm-hmm. And how's that going? Yeah, no, it's going good. Um, you know, last season was a bit weird because of COVID. Uh, we, you know, typically is a fall sport, but we had to postpone it to the spring. Uh, and it was also a reduced season. We only had 11 games where we usually have, you know, 16 all the way up to like 20 games. Um, so it was very good. We finished uh, third in the West Coast Conference out of eight teams. And uh, I started in four games and appeared in a total of five and 
Loved every minute of it. Brandon, do you remember when you decided to become a goalie and what attracted you to the position of goalkeeper? I've always been, you know, super tall for my age. And, you know, growing up, going to the well checkup, it's always 90, you know, 95th, 98th percentile for uh, height and my age. Uh, so when I started out at soccer, uh, they always just kind of threw me in goal. They're like, yeah, you know, throw the big guy in goal. Um, so when I started playing competitive for Scottsdale Blackhawks and first grade which you know are now phoenix rising youth soccer uh i would play like defense for the first half and then goalie for the second half or whatever and kind of switching that off and then in third grade we were in a tournament don't remember which one but we had made it all the way to the final and we were playing against our rivals at the time sereno and i believe we tied the game zero zero and it ended up going to pks and i made the game winning penalty save and my team came rushing over to me and I just loved that sense of euphoria that I had and when we were driving back home in the car I told my parents I was like that's what I want to do I want to feel like that every day and my mom told me at that point she's like you know you're gonna be the hero or the zero every single game you know if you guys win you'll be praised but if you lose you know there'll be a lot of questions surrounding your performance and I was like I don't care I just I just I want to be that player for my team. That's so awesome. I've heard that you are really good when it comes to saving PKs. Um, yes. Just talk me through it. When, when, it's, when it's not practice time, but when it's, um, you know, a real game and you're in goal and a penalty is called. Like, does uh, your adrenaline shoot through the roof? Yes, my adrenaline, my brain keeps, you know, you know is rattling off. Uh, and I always just try to keep my body calm and have a calm facial expression as well okay okay yeah because you know for the rest of us our adrenaline is through the roof and i'm just wondering you know because you've practiced this like is it the same for you so it is it's just as intense for you as we imagine that it would be yes i know it's i'd say maybe a little less because when a penalty occurs you know it's always expected that the forward is gonna score and so i don't always have like the most pressure on me to like make the save, you know, I'd say that more of the pressures on the whoever's taking it to score because they're way more expected to. And so when I do make a save, it's always a lot bigger of a surprise. And so I, I love, uh, you know, making those saves because then people are really thrown off and surprised by my ability. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So you were, you were telling us about, you know, grade school and then you went into high school, Chaparral high school, go firebirds, lots yeah. of players, you know, play throughout their school days, but you did something extraordinary. You moved to Spain to play for an academy team over there. So what team did you play for and how did that come about? Yeah. So I played um, for FC Malaga city uh, and that happened when I was um, over the summer, I was getting private goalie coaching uh, by an old friend and mentor, Andrew Weber. And at that time he was playing on the semi-pro team and the director of the academy in Spain um, has played over in the States numerous, numerous times. And he was playing with Andrew and actually staying at his house over that summer. So he was coming out to Andrew's privates and everything. And he had been to a few of mine, you know, when Andrew introduced me to him, I had no idea who he was or what he did. He just told me his name, you know, George Jeremy. 
And after a few practices, he approached me and my parents and uh, wanted to have, sit down and have dinner to present this opportunity to me. You know, it was just it was a total surprise because it came out of nowhere. But um, I knew that it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And because it was such short notice, I couldn't maintain a student visa at first. So I just went to Torox where they were based for the month of August in 2017, uh, which was the start of my sophomore year. Uh, when I was out there for four or five weeks, you know, practicing every day and playing in games. And I loved it. I loved, you know, the atmosphere, you know, playing with guys from all over the world, like, you know, England, Australia, um, parts of Africa, like Zimbabwe and Ethiopia and other parts of Europe. So I just loved the eclectic uh, personalities of everyone. And when I came back, I told my parents, I, this, I, I need to take care, you know, take hold of this opportunity. So I got a student visa. And I was there for the majority of uh, 2018. Was it fantastic? Was it everything that you expected? Yes, you know, it was. It was a very professional environment, uh, you know, training every single day. And, you know, my mom uh, is, uh, you know, has a history of being a school teacher, especially like in math uh, and everything. So education is very important to her. So, you know, she made a deal with me that I still got to keep going to school. So I started uh, online high school then as well. Um, so I was doing that in the afternoons and uh, we were traveling you know, all over the region, playing local teams and even traveled up to Madrid to play against uh, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid a couple of times. Um, it was definitely an interesting experience, but it was um, like the most professional and like realistic uh, environment I had been in up to that point you know there are you know highs and lows during the season uh, you know maybe you know losing your starting spot and having to fight for it back um, you know getting injured having to come back from that as well uh, so it was uh, definitely prepared me for when I came back and signed with Rising. just want to talk some more about your time in Spain off the pitch and when you weren't studying did you have fun did you go to see any any big soccer games during one of our trips to madrid we watched atletico madrid play against monaco in the champions league and uh that was probably my favorite game i've ever been to it was like i think like a year or something after atletico madrid had built their new stadium 66,000 you know person capacity and on that night it was completely full uh we had great seats um it was great being with all my teammates and the atletico madrid won that game three to one and the atmosphere was just electric you know the most uh most crazy you know experience i've had with soccer probably seeing you know all those sixty thousand people cheering for one team and every time the ball went into the net it was an absolute explosion of emotion sure sure Amazing. All right, let's take you back stateside. So back in Arizona, you signed with Phoenix Rising FC as an academy player, meaning mm -hmm. that you train and play with the first team while maintaining your eligibility to play in college. Also means that you don't get paid, right? Exactly, yeah. Okay, so what's the biggest difference moving from an academy team, um, you know, like you played with in Spain versus mm -hmm. coming to Phoenix Rising? Was there a difference in the quality of play? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, when I was in Spain, I was, you know, 16, 17, playing on a U19 team. So I was already playing pretty high up. But then coming back, uh, you know, I was 17, now playing with guys in their 20s, you know, I'd already been through college and everything. So definitely an increase in the level of play. And, 
I'd say one of the major differences as well is that for these, for the guys at rising, you know, this is their job and, you know, how much money they make or don't make depends on if they're playing games, you know, how well they're playing. And so it's a real livelihood for them. And there was still a lot of competition in uh, Spain in my academy, but still it wasn't like the same level, you know. Sure. Well, thank you so much for taking the time for this interview. I've got one more question before we go. And that is, do you have game day rituals or routines? Um, I would say I definitely have uh, a routine. Um, I like planning my whole day. I'm a very organized person. Um, So I like knowing, you know, what I should be doing and planning out all my times and having all of my, you know, gear prepared and ready for the games and, uh, you know, walking up to the uh, rising locker room when I would always looking fresh and uh, trying to um, get uh, picks from the our team photographer and everything. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, definitely I have a specific game uh, playlist I love listening to. It's about like an hour long. So I always start that right in time to have like you know, my hypest song at the end, like right before we go out for warm-ups or our meeting or anything. But I think that definitely helps. All right. Hey, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Hi, this is Kelly McCarthy here to bring you the USL Championship League standings after week 12, which ended on July 11th. It was a great week of football, and I'm excited to share some highlights and list the top teams in each division. Let's mix it up this week and start with the Western Conference. In the Mountain Division, we've seen a reorganization of the table, with the El Paso locomotives snatching the number one spot from Rio Grande Valley FC. Insert a train whistle here. Both teams have 21 points, but the locomotives have two games in hand and a larger goal differential on the season. New Mexico United have jumped a few a few places in the table, landing in third after a win against the Colorado Switchbacks on Friday, July 9th. What a game that was. New Mexico and Colorado were tied heading into stoppage time, with Colorado reduced to 10 men. New Mexico United capitalized on the additional time and the additional player and scored two goals to emerge with a 3-1 to one victory at home. The loss dropped the switchbacks into fourth place heading into week 13. In the Pacific Division, Phoenix Rising are still soaring above the competition with 23 points after their tie against Charlotte Independence on Saturday, July 10th. Orange County are closing the gap, however, with 21 points after 11 matches, and it should be noted they are unbeaten in their last eight games. They handily beat Sac Republic FC 3-0 this weekend, which is their third victory against that team this season. San Diego Loyal are in third place in the Pacific Division, and I'm starting to get a little sweaty as I report that they too are unbeaten in their last eight games. Los Dos have dropped out of fourth place, unseated by the Las Vegas Lights, who have apparently flipped the switch to on while some of us weren't paying attention. Watch out, Pacific Division. Things are heating up in the West. Let's head east for some cooler temps, but some equally hot teams. In the Atlantic Division, those damn rowdies are still on top and still hold the most points in the league with 24, despite their recent loss against Miami FC on Wednesday, July 7th. Dear Miami FC, thank you so much. Love, Phoenix Rising fans. The Pittsburgh Riverhounds are sitting at number two, followed by the aforementioned Miami FC in third place. 
The final team in the top half of the table is Hartford Athletic, who has 17 points but has only played 9 games. Check this out. Their last game was a 2-2 draw against Red Bulls 2 on Saturday night. Red Bulls 2 were up by 2 goals with 7 minutes to go in the game. They lost a player to a second yellow card, and Hartford came back to score 2 goals, 1 with 4 minutes to go and 1 at the death. If you're thinking I already told you this tale, it's because it's so similar to what happened in the New Mexico-Colorado game. The more games I read about, the more amazed I am at how exciting our league is. As always, please remember to message us on Twitter at FanExperienceFC after your team plays to share memorable moments. We'd love to give you and your club the shout-out you deserve. Finally, let's see what happened in Week 12 in the Central Division. Well, not a lot at first glance. The standings are the same as last week, with Birmingham Legion and Louisville City FC hanging on to their first and second place spots, despite both suffering losses on Saturday, July 10th. Lou City lost to Tulsa FC, who are in third place in the division and are nipping at their heels with only one less point after the same number of games. Indy 11 are still in fourth place after a draw against Atlanta United 2, and that match was more exciting than the 1-1 draw would suggest. The stars of the night were the goalkeepers, and Indy 11's was named the man of the match with seven critical saves. Phoenix Rising fans will remember Indy 11's goalkeeper Eric Dick as our backup keeper last season, who has clearly found success at his new club. We are always really excited to see former Phoenix Rising players doing well and succeeding. Congrats, Eric. Speaking of former goalkeepers for Phoenix Rising, I hope you enjoyed Niall's interview with Brandon Keniston earlier. We got connected with Brandon through my sister, Heather Moore, who is Brandon's French teacher at Chaparral High School. Despite the recent Euros result, she'd really want me to say, Allez le bleu! So there you have it. Stick around for Niall's game previews. Yep, plural, as Phoenix Rising is looking forward to two matches in Week 13. Phoenix Rising family, let's take a look at the week ahead. I'm here to preview the games, and we've got two games coming up this week. What a treat. On Wednesday, July the 14th, we've got Oakland Roots. It's an away game. We're going up to Oakland to take them on. And then Saturday the 17th, we're going to take on Los Dos here in our home stadium. So far this season, Phoenix have played 11 games. We've won seven. Oakland have played played eight games, they've won one, Los Dos, LA Galaxy 2 have played 13 games, they've only won three. Both of these teams have a really dismal record, in fact both of them are winless in the last six games. The last time that Oakland won was back in May 23rd where they beat Los Dos, and the last time that Los Dos won was on May 29th where they beat Orange County. The win rate for Phoenix, it's 64%. For Oakland, it's 13%. And for Los Dos, it's 23%. This is the second time that we'll play Oakland and also the second time that we'll play Los Dos. The last time that we played Oakland was on May the 8th and we won. Solo scored a brace and Santi Moore scored the other goal. So it was a 3-0 win to Phoenix Rising. It was the same score when we played Los Dos back in July 3rd. We won 3-0 that time as well. Our goal scorers were Tate Schmidt, Solo and Santi Moore. Our two opponents are desperate for wins this week. 
but I have no doubt that Phoenix Rising will return to their winning ways, so I'm going all in and predicting a 3-0 win against Oakland and a 4-0 win against LA Galaxy 2. We've got a lot to look forward to this week, and I'm also looking forward to our next episode. I'm going to sit down with Sarah and Chris Blomberg from Phoenix Rising's supporters group Union 602. Sarah and Chris have been super busy and have a lot to share with us about their supporters group. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Kelly McCarthy, for doing the game analysis and the standings. And a special thank you to our guest, Brandon Keniston. You can follow Brandon on Twitter at BKTheGK26. That's it, Phoenix Rising family. Good luck to our boys on the road on Wednesday, and we look forward to seeing them back on our home turf on Saturday. Go Rising! <laughs>